Did you know that I used to wake up after the sun had risen? <laughs> I was thinking about that this week. I used to wake up after the sun had actually risen. I remember lazy Saturdays, <laughs> like the concept of them. The farmer's market, I remember like going to the farmer's market. It's like a thing that I would just do, like, honey, let's go pick through strawberries or something. I don't know. Like going to see a spontaneous matinee on a weekend, just because, you know, hadn't planned it, just going to do it. This is my life now in a nutshell. We just finished 10 days. I'll let that number sink in for you for a moment. 10 days of passing around a stomach bug in my house. Yep. That's my life today. Nope, no more farmer's markets for me. I don't know where the farmer's market is even near my house. And, and, and I know what someone's about to do. You're about to email me. Oh my gosh, there's the cutest little farmer's market in Plano. <laughs> I, I will meet you there in 18 years, all right? <laughs> 18 years is the soonest I got on my calendar to go to the farmer's market. Um, I can't sleep in past the sunrise if I try to. My body won't let me. Why? Because my, my two sons, my middle and youngest, my two sons have, I guess, conspired independently of one another. I don't know how that works, uh, to wake up every morning at 5.30. They sleep in different rooms. Doesn't matter when you, we could put them to bed at 4.30 in the morning. They wake up at 5.30. They don't care. Um, and, and so my body is now trained. Like it, 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 at seven hours of sleep, I like just wake up because it knows my body is like someone's up to something. You've got to get up and go see what's happening. I remember what it was like to wake up after the sun had risen. Um, okay, so this is the first Sunday in Advent, and if you don't know, Advent is a season in the Christian calendar, uh, a season of preparation, uh, of preparing for Christmas and the arrival of the Christ child. And, and maybe you are new to church altogether, or maybe you are new to the idea of a liturgical calendar or a Christian calendar. And so welcome into this season, this season of four weeks of preparation. Actually, it's the start of a new year in the Christian calendar, Advent is. And so this is a, a day of, of new beginnings and, and possibilities and preparation and of waiting. And part of following a Christian calendar is there's also a, a sort of a calendar of scriptures that churches can choose to follow. It's called a lectionary. We do, sometimes we don't, sometimes basically based upon the, the preacher's desires, unfortunately. Um, uh, this year we're going to follow along with the calendar of Scripture. And it's interesting because in Mark chapter 13, the text that the calendar places before us today, it's a text about waking up, staying awake, being alert, being attentive and attuned to what God is doing before God is doing. Hmm. And, and so we're going to read a text in just a moment, Mark chapter 13. You're going to go, 13? That doesn't sound like the beginning. And you're right, it's not. It's not a very Christmassy text. There's no baby Jesus or manger or uh, Mary and Joseph or any of that stuff. Uh, this is going to be actually Jesus uh, at the tail end of a sermon, his longest speaking time in, in the gospel of Mark, and, and really just moments before he is betrayed and arrested. And, and it's going to be a text that sounds odd at first to be an Advent text. You're going to say, Scott, this feels more bah humbug than ho, ho, ho. Um, but there's a reason the calendar places this text before us. You're going to see it on your screens, or you can follow along in your own text if you wish. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 24, and it says this, in those days... This is Jesus speaking. 
In those days, after the suffering of that time, the sun will become dark and the moon won't give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the planets and other heavenly bodies will be shaken. Then they will see the human one coming in the clouds with great power and splendor. And then he will send the angels and gather together his chosen people from the four corners of the earth, from the end of the earth and to the end of heaven. And then Jesus goes on to say, learn this parable from the fig tree. After its branch becomes tender and it sprouts new leaves, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, you know that God is near at the door. I assure you that this generation won't pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will certainly not pass away. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come, not the angels in heaven and not the Son, only the Father knows. Watch out, stay alert. You don't know when the time is coming. It is as if someone took a trip, left the household behind, and put the servants in charge, giving each one a job to do, and told the doorkeeper to stay alert. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know when the head of the household will come, whether in the evening or at midnight or, or when the rooster crows in the early morning or at daybreak. Don't let him show up when you weren't expecting and find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to all, stay alert. My friends, for the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, and for the word of God within us, let us say, thanks be to God. So let's break this text down because this is not an easy one to receive on the first Sunday of Advent. You're thinking, Scott, this is a weird way to start. In those days, Jesus says, in those days. In what days? He says, in those days. And then he talks about stars falling and, and planets shaking and, and darkness consuming. And, and you begin to think, is Jesus talking about like the end days? Like those days? Like the, the end times kind of days? And maybe you've heard a, a sermon actually on this text trying to talk about those days. Um, I'm not sure that that is necessarily what Jesus is getting at here. This, this text that we are looking at, if it sounds apocalyptic, that's because it, it, it actually is. There's a, a genre of literature in Scripture called apocalyptic Scripture, and it goes back into the, the Hebrew Bible passages of, of Daniel and Joel and Zechariah, and apocalyptic texts are, are, are prophetic, and they're, they're kind of mystical and cosmic, and, and they can be really confusing for people trying to read them thousands of years after the fact. They can become a fixation fo point for folks who are obsessed with understanding the end times, and um, that's not really the reason they are written. More often, Apocalyptic scripture is a really important and helpful clue into understanding the contextual realities of the day. Because this text does not come out of nowhere. There's something that Jesus is talking about. Traditionally, we, in the Christian tradition, the sort of running theory was that Mark's gospel was written by a, a friend of Peter's, a scribe that Peter knew named Mark. But more recently and, and more broadly, scholars agree that Upon reading Mark 13 and understanding that in the year 70 CE, about 40 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, the second temple fell. This was the, 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 the second temple in Jerusalem, the temple that Jesus goes into in the Gospels and, and turns tables over. It's, the, it's that temple. That temple is destroyed in conflict with Rome, and, and it makes this chapter an interesting one to look at. It seems to be the event that Mark 13 is addressing. He opens the chapter uh, 
with Jesus talking about the temple's uh, future demise. He says this whole building will come down stone by stone. It's going to be destroyed, utterly destroyed. And so on the one hand, we could say, oh, this is Jesus predicting the fall of the temple. On the other hand, though, perhaps this tells us that Mark's gospel was written in the midst of that crisis. Because like Daniel and other apocalyptic texts in the Hebrew Bible tradition, this apocalyptic text may be a way of helping people in the midst of a crisis to make sense of that crisis in the context and framework of their faith. And so suddenly, Jesus is describing what an apocalypse could look like. And it looks a lot like this. We have a painting, a rendition of the destruction of the temple. The people living in those days, Jesus says, will feel like stars are falling from the sky and that the earth's foundation is shaken and that the once full moon is now dark in its newness. These are people going through a crisis, and, and Jesus is not des- describing necessarily something that's happening one day 40 years from now, but maybe Mark's describing something that's happening to his people in this moment. And so these words would have been received by the people in Mark's moment as words of hope for them. They're invited to see the Jesus story as playing out in the midst of their own lives. And I wonder if any of us are living through a crisis right now. I wonder on this first Sunday of Advent, when, when the whole world is, is getting all trim and glee and, and, and jolly and, and ho, 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 and maybe you're living through a crisis right now. I can think of crises that weigh upon my heart, that are impacting those whom I love. I can think about crises happening in my own life. I know from the prayer requests we receive that this is a season that I know is full of celebration and also full of darkness. I wonder if you know what it's like to feel like the sky is falling or the earth is shaking or that world that once felt well lit, now the moon is new and everything is just pitch black dark. And Mark's gospel is here to offer you words of hope Now, that word hope is an interesting one. I don't know if we were paying attention earlier when we lit that candle. That is the candle of hope. And my friends, when we light a candle of hope in the midst of crisis, as a people in crisis, when we light the candle of hope, we light a candle of falling skies and of shaken foundations and of the new and very dark moon. A candle of hope acknowledges that we are not there yet. It's not a candle of certainty It's a candle of faithful willingness to trust that God will do with us as God has done before and God will meet us in God's love. We trust that the moon, though new, is waxing and the foundation, though shaken, will heal and that the stars may be falling, yes, but also there is one that could light the way if we let it. So then Jesus goes into this longer lesson on the faithful practice of giving God our attention. And he uses two metaphors that seem super disconnected at first. He talks about a fig tree, and then he talks about a head of house. And so the fig tree lesson, the the fig tree parable is meant to represent uh, the, the crises that we find ourselves in currently, and that the fig tree is God preparing to bear fruit in the midst of our lives. I did some learning about fig trees. Can I share with you some fig tree factoids? If you say no, it's going to make really awkward right now. Um, So 
fig trees were one of the earliest crops to be cultivated by humans. I did not know this. I learned this this week. In the Jordan River Valley, like the same area in which Jesus lived, we have found fossilized, cultivated figs that date back to 9400 BCE. That is over 11,000 years ago. So figs have been present since the early days of civilization. It's one of the reasons uh, that we see figs mentioned throughout Scripture. What do Adam and Eve cover themselves with? The leaves of a fig tree, right? Figs have been a part of our lives since the very beginning. But importantly for us today, the other thing I learned is that figs take time to ripen. Figs take time to ripen. A really good, ripe fig, first of all, the tree itself takes a few years to grow. And then once it's grown and matured, then it takes, once the fruit begins to to show up on the tree, it can take months for that fruit to turn ripe. And when it's ripe, it's a beautiful thing. I think we got a picture of a ripe fig. There, if you don't know what a fig looks like, there you go. The whole time you're thinking, I don't know if I've eaten a fig before. Well, there you go. If you've eaten that, then you've eaten a fig. Um, So that's a a ripe fig. It is it is red, it is juicy, it is uh, delicious. There's a reason why people try those. We're like, we need to get on that right now. Let's start planting those right now, Jeff. You're like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Um, I don't know, his name probably wasn't Jeff. He lived in the Jordan River Valley 10,000 years ago, but um, we got to plant those right now. That's so good. We got to have more of that in our lives. A ripe fig is a beautiful thing, but an unripe fig, if you cut into it too early, if you take it off the vine, it looks more like that. And rather than being sweet and juicy and delicious, it is hard, and it is bitter, and it's really disgusting. You would think, what is this trash? I don't want this in my life. And again, here's the part that caught my eye this week. Jesus says that the moment of crisis is the moment when God is drawing nearest. Jesus says, when you see these things taking place, you know that God is near. And I think about myself and my relationship with with produce, (laughs) for instance, right? If I want a fig, am I going to plant a fig tree? No, I'm not going to plant a fig tree. I'm going to go to Kroger and I'm going to buy a fig. I'm going to discover that Kroger doesn't sell figs, so I'm going to go to H-E-B and actually get a fig, right? Because they have much better produce section. But when I want a fig, I go and get a fig. I want a fig now. I want it ripe. I don't want to have to wait around a few days for it to ripen. I want it to be ready right now. I want the fig now. That's what I want. Thank you very much. I don't want to go through the hassle of planting and cultivating a fig tree. It's in the moments of crisis that we want something immediately to save us. When I'm in crisis, maybe this is just a me thing, I don't want to wait. I, I want the, the sky that feels like it's falling to instead break open for the hand of God to come down and for everything to change, right? Am I alone in this? Is anybody with me? I want things to change immediately. But here's the hard truth. That doesn't always happen. In fact, I would say it rarely does. But that also does not mean, and hear me, friends, that does not mean that God is absent or that God is not at work, The leaves are there, Jesus says. When you look at the fig tree and you see the leaves beginning to bud, you know you're getting close. And then the the fruit's going to begin to show, but don't, oh, it's it's not there yet. It's going to need to ripe. You've got to let it ripe or else you're not going to enjoy the finished product. It's going to be a minute until that fruit is ripe and ready to enjoy. And so I wonder on this first Sunday of Advent, what could be the ripening work that God is offering in your life this Advent? Maybe in the midst of crisis, 
and you wish that everything could change tomorrow morning, and the hard news is it's probably not going to. Maybe it will, praise be to God, but maybe it won't. And maybe instead that question is, okay, what leaves am I seeing? Is the fruit beginning to show signs? What's that ripening work that God is doing in my life in the midst of a relationship that matters deeply to me, in the midst of some work struggles that I may be experiencing, in the midst of of some family dynamics that I I wish could change, and I know we're going to take time. Instead, Advent calls us to pause and to breathe and to consider what is that ripening work that God could be up to in this moment. And then Jesus continues. He says, when you see these things taking place, you know that God is near at the very door, Jesus says. And then Jesus mixes metaphors and starts talking about this head of household. And he famously says that the moment of God's arrival is known only to God, which he likens to this head of a house. And, and he goes on to share this, this uh, parable that makes for really helpful Advent theology and really terrible uh, HR theology of like, just work all the time and never sleep. You know, your boss may show up. Like, don't, that's bad self-care, Jesus. Um, but that's not the point. That's why con- context is important in Scripture. Amen. So he says to the people gathered, the, the one instruction he repeats three times is stay awake. Stay awake. It's like a head of house leaves on a journey, and, and you're not sure when that head of house is coming back. And maybe it's going to be the morning or the evening or midnight or before the rooster crows. And so you've got to stay awake. You've got to stay alert because if you're the one placed at the door and the head, and the head of household returns and you're asleep, ooh, that's going to be bad. You've got to stay awake. The word he uses there is a Greek word, agrupnete, and I know I'm mispronouncing that because we had a stomach bug for 10 days, and I didn't have time to Google how to pronounce it. Leave me alone, okay? Agrupnete is a, is a Greek word that literally means like field sleeping. It's to sleep with one eye open. It's the kind of sleep that someone who is working in a position that they need to stay alert would sleep, would, 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 would fall into. It's like you're sleeping, but not really. It's the guard at the guard tower t- catching a quick nap. It's the, it's the field hand who has to sleep in the fields, but who knows that there are wild animals around that they need to stay alert to. Agrupnete means to sleep with one eye open. And of course, very soon in Mark's gospel, we're going to see the consequences of falling into a deeper sleep when Jesus tells us not to. Jesus' disciples fall asleep while he prays, and then he's immediately betrayed by Judas and handed into uh, and arrested by Rome. And our Christian season this morning, however, would ask us not to consider the risk of whether or not Jesus is going to end up arrested or, or anything like that, but rather, will we sleep through the arrival of our God? in both the Christ child and in the midst of our very lives? Will we sleep through the arrival of our God? There's something very pragmatic about sleeping with one eye open as the metaphor that he chooses to use. And this is one reason I love this text, because I think it acknowledges the realities of our life. You, You cannot work without sleeping. He doesn't say go without sleep. He doesn't say just stay up all night and become an insomniac. He says sleep with one eye open. And it acknowledges the realities of life, but it also acknowledges the potentialities of this moment. And so the Advent call, it seems, is to live, to continue living in in the holly and the jolly or the mundane and the miserable or in the crisis and the crazy, but to do so with one eye open to the moment God arrives, not just at our doorstep collectively, but truly at yours, to sleep with one eye open 
to be aware of when God shows up as the unexpected grace that you did not even know that you need. Or when God shows up in the forgotten joy that you somehow returns to your heart. Or when God shows up in the comfort that you receive in the midst of your own tears and exhaustion. To sleep with one eye open is to continue living, but to keep an eye on God at the same time. So I'm going to be really honest with you this morning. Um, I started preparing this sermon. I started writing this sermon um, yesterday morning at 4.30 a.m., okay? And I can share that because I think it's a pretty good message, right? I don't feel embarrassed by it. Also because we had 10 days of a stomach bug. Did I mention that? Um, I went to bed early on Friday night thinking foolishly that I would get some extra sleep. Remember when I said my body lets me sleep seven hours? Seven hours goes by. It says, Scott, somebody's up to something. I wake up. It's 4.30. No one's up to anything. And so I go out into the living room and I make a pot of coffee and I have that quiet, solitary cup of coffee in a quiet house. And anyone who knows, knows that is as sacred as communion some, some days. And I'm sitting there with my coffee I'm sitting there with this text and I'm listening to the stillness and the silence and the darkness and I'm thinking about the guy who used to never wake up before the sun <laughs> and I'm realizing that maybe Advent is calling all of our souls into the possibilities of what happens when we allow ourselves to wake up before the sunrise. Do you hear Advent calling to you? It's time to wake up.